friends, you've now entered the Man Cave Podcast, unplugged and unfiltered. This is a podcast where the topics are mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other items, like, is Bigfoot real? Who is the best Batman? You're guided through each episode by a man who's the man for his time and place, Dan Casper. So welcome to the Man Cave, and stick around for a while. You're going to like it here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our good friends over at Hy-V. Appreciate you checking out another episode of this podcast. This episode of the Man Cave Podcast will be a Dan Casper Show instant replay. So, in case you're just a first-time listener to this podcast, my radio show, the Dan Casper Show, we have some instant replay segments that uh, we add to the Man Cave Podcast. Uh, podcast and in this case we are adding a couple of segments from the October 4th show Tuesday October 4th where we're talking uh, Brewers Brewers season they got a couple games left but they're not going to the postseason so chatting a little bit about this what I think is an intriguing and big offseason for the Brewers we're handing out grades since we're about a, a quarter of the way through the NFL season we're handing out the grades for some Packers and then a little bit more about uh, about the Paul Chris firing from Wisconsin in my chat with Mr. R.J. Cardinal. So enjoy this episode of the Man Cave Podcast Instant Replay Edition from the Dan Casper Show. I'm going to do offense, defense, special teams, and we'll do a select few players here too. So looking at the let's look at the offense. Um, and I'm just going to do it overall, and and I'll kind of break down why I got to that grade. So offense, I'm going to go with about a C. Um, and and the reason is is because it's in the middle between the run and the passing defense or passing offense. The the running offense, if I had to give it, it'd probably be around a B right now. And mostly that's not a that's not really a knock on on Aaron Jones or, or AJ Dillon. It's more so. I think we can maybe make the case that hey, I want to see. Matt Lafleur in this offense run the ball a little bit more. Is that possible to say that? Just run the dang ball, right? I mean, I, maybe it's more of a recency effect. But you know, when we we're kind of looking at that game from last week against New England in the first half, especially, it's like, okay, just keep going with Aaron Jones. He's hot, running, running the football. Keep it with the hot hand. So B might be a little too low, and it's not necessarily Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon's fault. More so on maybe some of the calls and, and that sort of thing. But the passing offense, maybe I'm a little bit harsh right now, but I think it's potentially trending upward. I'm going with like a like a I'm hovering between that D plus C minus type of line here. Because and I'm not strictly looking at interceptions. I know where people are like, well, Aaron's already got three interceptions. He had four all total last year. I think a lot of us kind of assume like, okay. He's probably going to have more interceptions this year. It's probably going to happen. But part of it is I would like to see Bobby Tunyon more involved in this. We're starting to see the, you know, we're seeing some good stuff with, with Romeo Dobbs. I'd like to maybe see Christian Watson involved in the passing game a little bit more. Randall Cobb, maybe we we know the role of Randall Cobb. Maybe they found a sweet spot for him. He's a third down guy. He's a short yarded situation guy. He's not an every down type of player, 
Maybe that's the sweet spot for for Randall Cobb. Alan Lazard coming off of a good game, usually showing that he's a number one. Aaron has a lot of trust in him. So I'm kind of hovering between that C minus D plus, but the arrow kind of trending a little bit up, and it's because of Romeo, but there's definitely room for some improvement, right? There's definitely some room for some for for this group to to improve their grade. And I think that starts with getting Robert Tunyon more involved. Uh Christian Watson more involved. And Romeo Dobbs becoming, you know, a pretty pretty good player so far. Just hold on to that ball a little bit. Offensive line play, I mean if we want to break it down there, I'd probably go Now that everybody's healthy in that, I'm probably going about a C. Just because I think we don't have the full-on answer yet with with the offensive line. And a lot of that is because, is Elton Jenkins going to be staying at right tackle, or are they going to put Yash over there? And if so, if Yash is right, Elton moves to the inside, who's the guy, who's the odd man out? Royce Newman or John Runyon Jr.? So I'm going with a C. But, again, I think it's got the potential with that arrow to trend a little bit up. A little bit upwards. Um, okay, so defensively, again, I'm not going to go through every player or every position group. just going to go through some of, the, some of the general ones out here. Defensively, if I'm looking at the, the run defense, C- minus for me, because it's, it's, it's kind of been like an EKG, up and down, up and down. You know, Chicago, Dave Montgomery, <laughs> pretty solid. I mean, he had a, he had over 100 yards. Then, you know, Green Bay fouls it up by pretty much shutting down Leonard Fournette in a game against Tampa Bay where Tom Brady didn't have his receiving weapons, and you're figuring, okay, Tampa Bay really wants to probably establish the run and run the football with Leonard Fournette. And Green Bay's run defense did a fantastic job. But then New England comes in. With two running backs, and then you end up, you know, you start the game with a backup quarterback, but then quickly goes to their third string, and you're thinking, okay, they really want to establish the run. They're going to really work in that run and maybe, you know, get a little play action in there. And New England was doing a good job with that. So it's kind of been up and down. And now you got Saquon Barkley coming up here. And we know that the Giants probably what? Want to run the football. So. Green Bay's defense going to be able to slow it down and stop it. So I'm at about a C- minus with, with the run defense right now. Pass defense, it's it's this one to me is hard to grade because who have they gone up against receiving-wise besides Justin Jefferson, and, and Jefferson dominated them. And then after that, it's been like, well, who else? You know, Chicago, they don't throw the football. Tampa Bay, we just, yeah, there was Tom Brady, but who'd he throw to? New England? Started off with second-string quarterback and then third-string? So, I mean, do is that like an incomplete sort of grade with, with the passing defense? I think when we think about the passing defense, we, we focus a lot on the secondary, right? We look at those safeties in the corners. But... 
and I think that's where we kind of have to break it down here a little bit because you have to add in the pass rush with this pass defense. So that's where I'm kind of at a I'm at a B B minus, and maybe I'm grading a little bit too hard. But I, I and again that that you got to factor in the play calls and the, and the coordinators into this too, right? So that Minnesota one is kind of out there with the the decision of how to guard Justin Jefferson and out there. But Rashawn Gary, with how he has started off the season, a sack, at least a sack, in every single game so far this year. This was a, a an opportunity year for him to take a big jump, and he has so far. He has looked like a force. In fact, latest odds, if you're a betting person, latest odds have Rashawn Gary tied for the second-best odds for Defensive Player of the Year. The only person, the only player with better odds than him is Micah Parsons with Dallas. So Rashawn Gary, I think, has a lot to do with this pass defense getting about a B, B minus on here because of the, the the wrecking crew he has been so far in these first few games. You know, if, if, I, if I was given an individual grade to Rashawn Gary, I'm giving him an A minus. Hell, maybe even an A. I don't like I don't like giving A pluses or anything like that. I'm a hard grader. But Rashawn Gary, to me, you know, who would be the highest rated defensive player if I were just to give them a, a, a letter grade? I think I'm going Rashawn Gary as as the highest graded guy, highest graded player on that defense. Kenny Clark is is probably right up there too. Between Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary, those are my two highest grade, and I think Adrian Amos. Probably about a B plus, and we don't hear a whole lot about Eric Stokes, right? Once in a while, we'll we'll see him in coverage, or you know, we'll we'll see something. But it feels like we don't hear enough on the telecast about Eric Stokes. So, I mean, is that necessarily a bad thing? Probably not, because locking down his dude, He's locking down his guy. So, I'm probably giving Eric Stokes a B. I'm going to jump jump back and forth here a little bit because I forgot to give some individual players on offense some grades. But you know, Aaron Jones, I'm giving him an A minus. That guy looks younger. I know I've said it a few times, but the way he's hitting the hole, he looks faster. His burst looks amazing. Giving Aaron Jones, I think right now the offensive MVP, MVP is, or the highest graded. I shouldn't say MVP, but the highest graded offensive player. I'm. I might go Aaron Jones. I think I'm going to go Aaron Jones. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, I'm probably going with C plus, B minus, just because I want to see him improve on the securing the football a little bit. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Green Bay's not 3-1 and one without Aaron Rodgers, though, too. So, But, I mean, that first half against New England, yeah. C plus. Maybe a little harsh, B minus, C plus, B minus, that sort of line. Al Lazard, I'll go B minus for him. B, then I'll go B. I'll go B for Al Lazard. Yeah. And then special teams. Pat O'Donnell, to me, uh, I mean, come on now. I'm a Pat O'Donnell guy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out there and, and buy a 16 jersey and jinx it or anything like that. But I feel like Pat O'Donnell has been 
such a big boost for this unit. I mean, the game he had against Tampa Bay, where he did win special teams player of the week for the NFC, the consistency factor from him, I mean, it has been a huge, huge factor for, for this ball club. So Pat O'Donnell, to me, gets an A-. minus. But also with with the special teams, they don't call them gunners on them anymore. They call them flyers, I guess. But Ford and Nixon, Ford and Nixon, I'm giving those guys Bs, and I'm I'm adding those guys into the defense too because Nixon has made some plays on defense. Ford got some playing time on defense this past weekend with with Adrian Amos in concussion protocol. So I'm giving those guys some Bs on there too. I mean, Mason Crosby's barely had to kick, but I mean, all he missed all pre, uh, preseason and training camp, and he's been solid. He's been Mason, right? So, in the long snapping situation, I mean, we were kind of concerned about that. Did they have a guy? Were they going to have a guy? And so far, Jack Coco has been, you know, if we don't have to talk about him, it's a good thing, right? And so far, that's been the case pretty much. Yeah, there's been a little bit of ups and downs in the in the special teams coverage. But overall, special teams, I'm, I'm going to give them a B-. I'm going to give them a B-. So, I think overall, if I were to give this, this team a first quarter grade, if I'm putting on, again, if I'm getting my grade book out, or I guess these days they probably do it on a computer. I remember in elementary school, the teachers would have these red grade books, you know, and they'd write everything down. I'm sure everything's like on tablets and all that sort of stuff now. But anyways, if I were to give a first quarter grade, and remember first quarters in schools were maybe a little lenient, but a lot of it was review. First quarters were my best grades of all time because a lot of it was review stuff and that sort of thing. But anyways, um, if I had to give a first quarter grade to the green and gold, to the Packers, I'm probably going C plus. I'm going a little C plus here because I know everybody talks about, you know, once you get four games into the season, you kind of start to see what teams are or who teams are. Start to get maybe players getting a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident, you know really getting into their system and you know we're starting maybe to see who these teams are or what they are and for Green Bay I think their offense is going to be more consistent as the season progresses especially with the younger receivers and kind of getting more acclimated to Aaron and Aaron getting more acclimated to them. So I think they're going to be progressing. The defense, I mean, they've been kind of up and down. We have put so much stock into this defense, so much hype and expectations that it's been a little up and down in in different parts. I don't think the pass defense has been challenged that much besides the Minnesota game, and maybe we won't be challenged that much until Buffalo I mean, Washington's got receivers, but you got Carson Wentz throwing the ball for crying out loud. So I'm about as, and then the special teams, we just got done talking about them. So I'm at about a C plus. It's just, even with four games in, I don't know if we have seen the true identity of what this Packers team is. Because it's been a little up and down. 
So the first quarter's in. To me, the second quarter now is now we've got to see this team really establish themselves of who they are. You know, if I were to make some comments or some notes, second quarter, I want to see who you are. I want to see you become more consistent. I want to see you establish some things on offense and on defense. You know, on offense, I think we're seeing bits and pieces. Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon. Those are the focal points so far. Those are the, you know, they love having those two guys on the field at the same time, create mismatches. And that's something we've talked about even in the offseason that we want to see. We're seeing that. But on the receiving side of things, maybe we want to see some more consistency. Tight ends, rookie wide receivers. But you're feeling like the arrow's trending up a little bit. Defensively, just consistent performances out there, especially with the run game. And I think we need to see a little bit more from the pass coverage. Like, have they truly, truly, truly been tested at a consistent rate besides that Minnesota game? I don't think they have yet. That's where I'm at about a C-plus for this team right now. Because even though everybody says, okay, after four games you start to kind of see where everybody's at, we've seen bits and pieces of Green Bay. But we haven't seen the full picture yet. And that's where I feel like this second quarter now, this second quarter now is where we're going to start to see, or we should start to see, some consistency and establish some things about this, this ball club. Your tailgating headquarters is at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. Their top-of-the-line meat department, which includes the Dan Good Burger, will make you the talk of your tailgate party. And the dips for snacking? Those are what will make you an MVP on game days. And you never have to worry about Hy-Vee not having what you need because their shelves and coolers are always stocked up with your favorite goods. Be the MVP of your tailgate party with the help from another MVP. That's High V in Eau Claire, located at 2424 East Claremont Avenue. Uh, Brewers, so as we know, their season is over with, and a few of you with some Grind My Gears, I should say the majority of you with some Grind My Gears, uh, is related to the to the Brewers, just kind of lumping them all in together, but Grind My Gears for a lot of you was the Brewers not getting to the postseason after a lot of high expectations and, and hope this year that sort of thing. So we know that they will not be going to the postseason, officially eliminated uh, last night, even though they won in extra innings. But um, with Philly getting the victory, that secured the playoff spot for the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Brewers will not be going back to the postseason, which is, you know, for the longest time, it was like, okay, you make they made it, and it's like, all right, going to be probably a couple years. Well, this would have been the fifth year in a row. The headline's a little bit different. First time since 2017 that they haven't made the postseason. We haven't really had to say that too often. But it's no doubt it's it's incredibly disappointing. And I look at this offseason. I know there's two games left in the regular season. we got the postseason. But, I mean, come on. I, you know, for you're the Brewers. I'm already looking at the offseason. I'm already looking at hot stove season for crying out loud. But this is a huge offseason. A huge offseason, and I have no idea what the direction David Stearns and the Brewers are going to go. David Stearns has said constantly that he wants to make sure the Brewers remain competitive every single year. Awesome. Great. I like that. 
But is there a certain point where you do have to maybe gamble a little bit and push your chips into the middle of the table just a little bit more, maybe add a little bit more chip, maybe just push it a little bit more? Me personally, maybe this is just my fandom coming out of it. I think there is. And that's kind of what I want to see the Brewers do this offseason because I feel like this is a little bit of a last dance sort of feel. And I know that phrase gets used too much in sports now, thanks to that documentary. But I feel like it's, okay, you've got Corbin Burns, you've got Brandon Woodruff going under arbitration, Willie Adamas. Those guys are due for pay raises, due for contracts. And if they were on the open market, they were gonna they would get big time contracts. So this might be the final year with some of those guys because yes, I know Woody and, and Burns have another arbitration year, but that might be the time if you want to trade those guys and get something in return, that would be the time to do it. So is this the final year with the Burns and a Woodruff? And if that's the case, that's where I would like to see David Stearns and the Brewers go for it a little bit more. Now, that doesn't guarantee anything. I understand that. I understand spending a little bit more doesn't guarantee you a thing. Dodgers is a perfect example. Although they've got one World Series, and I think a lot of us Brewers fans would love just one World Series. But I think a lot of fans would argue, too, at least it gives you... Maybe it increases your chances of, of getting that, that World Series, or, or or at least you're trying to go for it. Maybe it sends a message throughout the locker room. It's like, we're doing this. We're going to try to go for it. But I think this offseason is a is a crucial big-time offseason for the Brewers. There's, there's got to be a lot of self-reflection. There's got to be a lot of self-scouting. I know they usually do an end-of-the-season presser. I will be curious to hear from David Stearns of what he has to say about the moves and some of the lack of moves he made. In the past, he has been honest. You know, when he's talked about moves that didn't work, Jonathan Scope, he's admitted it. I'll be curious to see now that he's seen this season play out after what some of his decisions, what he has to say. But... This is going to be a very big, interesting offseason, and I have no idea how the Brewers are going to play it. I have no idea how they're going to play it. Will they try to go with the mindset of like, all right, we're going to try to push it a little bit more because we know we probably only have Burns and Woodruff for one more year. Or does David Stearns be like, nah, we want to make sure that we're competitive for the next couple of years. The thing is, though, too, is like I feel like the Brewers have at least set themselves up that if they go into this offseason where they do spend a little bit more to you know bring in a couple more free agents, that they're still set up for the future that they're going to have a couple of starters waiting in the wings to potentially be that new number one, number two starter on the depth chart. I'm talking Freddie Peralta and Aaron Ashby. They sign long-term deals, cheap long-term deals so i feel like the brewers have kind of set themselves up like okay we know we're probably not going to afford corbin burns we're probably not going to afford brandon woodruff we can push in a little bit more this week this year this offseason for some free agents try to go for it if it doesn't work out 
We lose Burns. We lose Woodruff. But we're not that far back. We don't have to go in a total rebuild because, you know what, we still got Freddie Peralta and Aaron Ashby, and hopefully by you know another year under their belts they can kind of take another jump. So they've kind of set themselves up where they have a little bit of depth that way. Now, again, that could be me, the fan, but I want to see the Brewers attack this offseason. It reminds me a little bit of 2011 where we all kind of thought, okay, it's going to be for a Prince Fielder's final year. They made the moves for Zach Greinke, Sean Markham and such. They got to the NLCS. Thanks to the Cardinals for ruining that. But it kind of has that feel a little bit. But the wild card in this whole thing is David Stearns. And his philosophy of not doing too much, or I shouldn't say not doing too much, but not overspending and, and really putting the team in a potential bind where they have to rebuild. That's the wild card and everything. So this is where it's such an unknown, but I think a big offseason for the Brewers. Hey, what up, everybody? Dan Casper here. I hope you are enjoying this episode of the Man Cave podcast. I just wanted to send you a quick reminder that if you are not subscribing to the Man Cave podcast, do me a favor, do me a solid, and subscribe to that podcast. It's free, okay? And we're available on like every single podcasting platform out there iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, you name it, we're probably there. And if you, uh, on your favorite podcasting platform, if you have the ability to rate or review the podcast, like on iTunes or Spotify, go ahead and do me another favor, if you don't mind, please. Five stars. Five stars. Leave a solid review, too, if you can, like on iTunes. That way other people can find the Man Cave Podcast, okay? And don't forget to follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Casper Sports, and at Twitter, at D-A-N-K-A-S-P-E-R. You can even follow me on Instagram, Dan Casper Sports. Remember, that's a Casper with a K. Now, let's get back to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. RJ, I mean, first let's just start it off. What was your first reaction like when you saw online the news that Paul Christ was being let go as head football coach what was what was your first thought that went through your mind um kind of just shock that they actually did it yeah it it has been i don't even remember the last time a coach was fired in season we've had coaches leave mid-season but uh firing that is uh a first for me for any sport because i don't remember even some of the bad sports seasons that Wisconsin has had, that somebody would like go into. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the key here too, because like on, on you know, yesterday when we were talking about it, and, and the majority of our listeners were like, yeah, not surprised at that. But I think the the thing here where I was surprised at was they actually did it, RJ. Like they like they did it, and they yeah. did it during the season. It's so out of the norm for Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we go back and look at some of the stuff that transpired leading up to this. Um, we've talked about it ever since, you know, your 2020 with the COVID and not being able to have two real recruiting classes come onto campus 
Um, and you lost some in-state kids. You lost some kids that didn't experience the campus. So recruiting, even though stars went up, uh, I, I think had some issues after that because those classes were secured really before the, the COVID um, happened. I mean, Wisconsin had their 2020 class really wrapped up by December of 2019. Uh, 2021, they were really in on most of their kids for a long period of time at that point, so those guys came. Um, and you lost, uh, lost some of the 2021 kids, but your 2022 class, I think, when we saw the drop, we just associated that with, well, your whole recruiting staff left for Michigan State, but how's that going for Michigan State right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think the recruiting and the the COVID years of not having people on campus really hurt Wisconsin. So it, it's almost, uh, and it's been historical for Wisconsin. They've won with people who want to play here, not with people who need to play here. And that's that, there's a big difference there. Um, the need is for personal gain. The want is I fell in love with this place. I fell in love with the coaching staff. I want to go there and play. So I, I think Wisconsin's missing out on some of those kids. You know, there was a couple things. I want to get your, your thoughts on that. That I kind of stood out to me or that kind of ran through my mind after this news dropped. One was, it's mostly involving Chris McIntosh, a new athletic director. You know, one, is Chris McIntosh actually making this move? Because, I mean, McIntosh is a Barry Alvarez guy. Paul Chris is a Barry Alvarez guy. But Chris McIntosh, I mean, he could have just, like, yeah, we're going to stick through it. And a couple weeks ago, he kind of said that. that, you know, We're going to see how he, everything kind of works out and coach through some downtimes. But he went against a, another Barry Alvarez guy. Like to me, that's like okay. He's sending a signal. This is my program. This is, you know, I'm the athletic director. I'm the one making decisions. But also, it almost seemed like okay, they want to take the next step. And maybe I'm kind of reading too much into this, but they want to compete for college football playoffs and and you know national championships and and maybe this is a step where they felt like Paul Chris maybe isn't that guy that can do that for us. Am I over overreading or, 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 or reaching too much on a couple of those thoughts? I mean, he did say that the standard is championship. So, um, depending on what, what level of championship we're talking about, hopefully we'll find out in, in the near future here. But you have to look at it as well. He is a guy who is also now probably working for his job because the new chancellor in Wisconsin didn't hire him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's probably going to have another midseason firing coming up uh, this year with Tony Granato. Because uh, I don't know if anybody noticed over the weekend, but they lost to a Canadian uh, college uh, team in an exhibition game at the Cole Center on Sunday. So um, he's not looking too good right now either. And uh, but so th- there is a lot on. McIntosh's plate right now, and if boosters are going to him or over his head and talking to the new chancellor, there might be some pressure, not just from him to have the football team uh, perform better, but 
from people higher up than him who control his job. So it'll it'll be interesting to see that dynamic moving forward. And it's not like anybody's heard that the new chancellor is twisting the screws to him. But um, it, from what I hear, um, it was mostly based on a decision uh, by higher-up boosters who threatened to pull their money from Atlantic. Interesting. Uh, so, you know, Jim Leonard, first of all, do you, do you think they make the move if Jim Leonard's not on the staff? Probably not. Um, I, I think the move, or uh, they probably don't make the move if he hasn't been offered jobs the last couple of seasons hmm. that he's turned down. Um, at some point, you were going to lose him if Paul Chris was still the head coach. So I think that plays a little into it as well. Um, and through no fault of Jim Leonard's own, uh, he is now the the interim head coach. And um, had he still not been getting any offers and not turned anybody down yet, would the more maybe less maybe less or more announce this firing? Probably not. RJ Cardinal, our Badger analyst, joining us here this morning. Uh, before we get into the Jimmy Leonard era here for a second, I wanted to get your thoughts. And I know some college programs kind of do this. I know the Miami does this. They have Alonzo Highsmith in, in a title called general manager. But, you know, with, with the transfer portals and, you know, recruiting and, and even NILs, we were kind of like throwing out the idea should – should more programs, and kind of focusing on Wisconsin, but should more programs kind of employ like an executive or a general manager type of role for maybe coaches to focus more on X's and O's and not to say they can't be involved or shouldn't be involved in recruiting because you have to if you want to coach those kids. But in terms of like always monitoring transfer portals and all that, do you think that like a program like Wisconsin should add that type of role and do you think it will be will be something in the near future? It's definitely something that needs to be looked into. Uh, the UW itself now has a new NIL department. I'm not sure what that is, um, but it, it. I think it's something to facilitate the NIL opportunities. Um, but you also kind of need your boosters to be able to participate in the NIL and the Varsity Collective isn't it. Um, it. That's more or less an extension of the W Club where they're trying to set up kids for future success, where a lot of these athletes are looking for, you know, I want my money now. Um, like, they were trying to talk to J.G. Wentworth. Um, but it, it's something that I think wanted to do, um, have somebody dedicated to looking at that transfer portal um, and have a larger recruiting department, uh, but uh, it was something that apparently at the time Wisconsin wasn't looking to, to get into. So it, do they need to do it? Most likely. Um, you also need to then invest a lot more money into this program uh, and we know it's there uh, mm-hmm. you're about to get a pay raise uh, uh, in, from your TV rights deal in two years but right now you're still making 
what was it last year? Fifty-two million uh, per school in the Big Ten. So, you know, the opportunity, yeah, well, the the opportunity is there to grow this uh, and have a larger off-field staff to focus on that stuff. Um, but um, who, who really knows where we're going to go? Uh, it really depends on the boosters. And it depends on the athletic department itself to invest into, I mean, not really just football. Because, I mean, we thought after what Johnny Davis did for the basketball team that more NBA kind of caliber people would be looking at Wisconsin in the transfer portal and or uh, for recruiting. That didn't happen. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if athletic department as a whole needs to catch up to college sports landscape as it is right now. RJ, how big of a risk move is this for, for Chris McIntosh? I, you know, I've seen some people on, on social media saying, be careful what you wish for. Look at Nebraska when they, when they let go of Bo Pelini and you know, that, that win record and, and you look at Paul Chris's win record. I mean, is how big of a risk is this for, for Chris McIntosh to make a move like this? I think there's a little bit of a difference there because uh, Bo Pelini, his output wasn't dropping off uh, with Paul Chris has the last couple of seasons. Um, so in, I'm not going to lie, on, on Saturday, Paul, Paul was just disinterested on the sidelines. Like, he looked like a defeated man. Um, it just wasn't, even though he's reserved on the sidelines, it didn't look normal. Um, uh, so I, I don't know what's going on there, um, but now you have all these players tweeting out pictures and stuff and saying how great of a man he was and all this. And, uh, and it's one of those, well, if if you really loved him and all that, I have to question your your football skills, your football acumen, your heart, because you were not playing like you loved your coach. And maybe that is because they're not developing. Maybe that is because they really aren't what their star levels were. But for one reason or another, your coach is out because you're two and three. Mm-hmm. RJ, when, you know, Chris McIntosh, he didn't go through a lot of the details, but I mean, he, he mentioned that you know it was a long meeting with with Paul Chris, and obviously they were going through the negotiation of like buyouts. Which I mean, I mean, I I, I don't know a whole lot about that, but I would imagine if Paul Chris really wanted to say no, I want all my money, he could have just said no to to negotiation. So I mean, to me, when I when I hear that they had long meetings and all that, it, it seems like Paul Chris was like actually open to to leaving the program a little bit. Yeah, and that's kind of what. I, I was thinking when seeing him on the sidelines. I mean, it almost looked like maybe he was just ready to be done. Um, it it just looked odd. It, uh, um, and after you hear stories about kids saying at halftime he he challenged us to draw a line in the sand here right now, and then they came out and looked horrendous in the second half. I mean, 
that's either a team that quit on their coach or a team that has no leadership in terms of players, uh, even though you have your three captains who are very vocal. Um, I don't know where, uh, apparently, they're not very motivational. Um, I, heck, I know when I heard Keanu Benton say, I got up and challenged people to their faces and they didn't react to me. That was not a good sign. Yeah. Um, it, it's so really, you got to question the heart of this roster right now. And even with Jim Leonard taking over, um, we could be in for a bumpy ride the rest of this season, but still be prepared for Jim Leonard to be named the, have the interim tag lifted. Um, so it, it's one of those, uh, I think we're, we're looking at the Jimmy Leonard era moving forward, um, no matter what the results of this season are. But um, it's it's one of those where something needs to change, and it's not just the football coach. Mm-hmm. It's the way you approach it, the way your athletic department approaches it, because you cannot take the stand that uh, Wisconsin is right now because heck i even see uh northwestern expanding their recruiting department to include you know a larger recruiting staff a larger nil staff uh, a larger transfer portal staff like it's something that needs to be done and if you really aren't willing to do it it (laughs) i mean go join the WEAC and you're going to have the biggest D3 stadium in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, RJ, we've got uh, so Jimmy Leonard, interim head coach. In your opinion, is this his job to lose, or do you? And I know McIntosh said that you know he owes it to the program to, um, you know, do a, do a search. But I mean, is this Jimmy Leonard's job to to lose? I mean, there's really I know Lance's name's being thrown out there, and, and maybe a couple other ones out there. But I mean. I got to imagine, unless something really, really strange happens, this is Jim Leonard's job. Yeah, it, it's one of those. Um, after Alvarez just named Brett Bielema without doing a coaching search, mm-hmm. uh, the it, it's a state job. So <laughs> the the government got a little upset about that one. Um, so here, you cannot name him head coach. You have to slap the interim tag on there. You have to legitimately go through a job search. So I don't, I don't know when the job is posted. I didn't go check and see if it's a posted job for uh, 2023. Um, but you need to go through that whole thing. It's got to be posted for 14 to 21 days, depending on the level of job it is. Um, you have to go through interviews. You have to go through all of that. Um, but I think right now it's all just a superficial thing uh, because it is Jimmy Leonard's job. And unless this team looks absolutely horrendous uh, for the final seven games here, um, I think it's his job no matter what. And, I mean, are you confident Jimmy Leonard can take this program and, and get them back on track and, and maybe take that next step? Is Do you, do you feel like he's got enough experience in – and he's the guy that can do this? I will say he's a guy who still has that chip on his shoulder. You know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He wasn't going to be 
a D1 athlete. Okay, well, you're not going to be a starter. All right, well, you're not going to be that good. All right, well, you're not going to make it to the NFL. All right, well, you're on a roster. You're not going to make it past year four. All right, well, you had a 10-year career. Uh, you just can't go right into coaching. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those, he, every step of the way, he's he's one of the hardest working people uh, for his profession as as he's gone through the steps here uh, that I've met. And uh, if that kind of mentality can rub off on some of these kids, uh, I think some of it has already um, just being a part of the staff. Um, It's going to take a big step, it seems, for the kids uh, to get over the loss of their head coach. Um, But having... Jim Leonard there because a few of them have said they've they came here because of Jim Leonard, not necessarily Paul Christ, but a lot of those guys have showed their love for Paul Christ. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he can transition that into uh, this. I guess you can call it a short week because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're you're having to deal with that as well as uh, preparing for Northwestern, and that's not the easiest thing to to go on uh to have all that on people's minds this, this week and it's a little weird i think i saw uh wisconsin's a 10 point favorite right now which, uh, <laughs> um, i don't know if that says more about uh what people feel paul chris with paul chris moving on or what people feel about northwestern but um yeah it, it's this first week is going to be a monumental task um and that'll be, uh, I mean, if, if you can get over that hump of we lost our coach, let's move on and prove to the world he still should have been here, uh, awesome. Um, but this, this could be uh, a rough game uh, down at Evanston. All right, so before I let you go, let's uh... – I know you've talked about Northwestern. By the way, you know this. They're getting a new stadium. So, I mean, has that changed the whole pink locker room or something that you? I think you were talking about? Was it, is that? Oh, no. They, their their locker room is, dra- is straight, like, concrete slab. Oh, okay. Like, okay. Or it's, it, yeah. it's a concrete floor. It's, like, kindergarten-style uh, cubbies <laughs> and concrete walls. Nothing's painted. Uh, it's the most bare-bones. Uh, locker room I have been in, um, and you know, like to the point you have to put like you know those entryway rugs, yeah. like the little running mat, just so your cleats don't slip on the floor. Like it's, it's it's that bad. Uh, it's a hard environment to get up to play a football game in because they don't put forth any effort to try to make it welcoming. Um, uh, but um, uh, it's. Yeah, it's it's a hard place to play, um, and it has nothing to do with the team you're playing. It's uh, the accommodations at the stadium for you, and I know some people will say, well, I mean, you shouldn't really make things inviting for your opponent. Oh, I mean, there's making things inviting and just making things inhabitable. Uh, and the, the dead environment there, uh, hopefully... There'll be a lot of Wisconsin fans there for Jim Leonard's first game as a head coach, um, but uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, and 
hopefully we can see Wisconsin pull one out. Um, I think, you know, it's probably, I'd, I'd say take the under in this game. Both teams haven't really shown they can score all that much. And, I mean, Northwestern did against uh, Nebraska, but we've seen Nebraska give up a lot of points all year. Um, I guess we can say that now about Wisconsin the last two games. Uh, but um, I, I think you see Wisconsin pull out a close, low-scoring, one-score game. All right. He's RJ Cardinal. Dude, I appreciate uh you breaking it all down for us this morning in a crazy 48, almost 48 hours here for, for Wisconsin. So a new era, man, a new era that a lot of, lot of it seems like a lot of fans wanted to, to come, and now it's here. So it'll be interesting how Jimmy Leonard does in these next seven games. It really will be. Yeah, looking forward to seeing it. Uh, wish it didn't happen this way, but um, I'll be interested to see if there is an attitude change because this is a team when they were down. Uh, they look like they quit in those three losses. So mm-hmm. hopefully that doesn't happen anymore, and uh, hopefully you aren't down by multiple scores anymore, right. uh, and uh, you give yourself a fighting chance. I agree. All right, RJ. Well, you have a good rest of the week, buddy, and uh, we'll catch up again soon, okay? Sounds good. We will talk to you later. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, and a reminder – Never miss an episode of the Man Cave Podcast by subscribing to the Man Cave Podcast. We're already on your favorite podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And don't forget to give us a solid rating too. That way other people can find the Man Cave Podcast. Until next time, I'm Dan Casper, and we'll see you in the Man Cave.